Hello and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast, an extension of The Pitch in Kansas City. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Pitch and your host today, Mr. Brock Wilbur. How is everybody out there? I think I know the answer to that. Uh, let's just get started talking about the thing that's on absolutely everybody's mind. Puppies. Puppies? Pretty great. Gotta love puppies. Who's your favorite puppy? That's an excellent puppy. Gotta say, top-notch. Wonderful, wonderful puppy right there. Really hard to uh, think about anything else when you can think about puppies. The more I think about puppies, the less I think about an armed insurrection taking over the capital. Puppies. It's just right there. It's puppies. It's simple. It's furry. It's cute. I love them. I love every single one of them. Uh, it's a lot easier to process uh, puppy. Yeah, uh, not going to work. <laughs> really tried. Really tried to lean into the puppy content this week. Wow. That was an interesting Wednesday. Um, don't really know what there is to say about it. Uh, I, I, I feel a th- a thing that is 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 the conflation of both uh, terror and and laughter, and I worry that I in my head sound like the Joker right now. Just this this sad the this, this laugh like blood. Uh, <laughs> it seems impossible to process a lot of the things that we saw this week. Uh, even though that is mostly my job, uh, it, we've we've reached a point where even trying to explain the the basics of what's happened here are nearly impossible. To the point where I, I I've been having discussions with friends this week, and we we will probably be doing a, a piece on this at the pitch. Actually, what what is what is to become? How how do we think that history teachers will teach to will teach Wednesday in the future? Like, where do you even begin? Uh, that you have to explain that over a course of several years, uh, a group of people started to believe that uh, a, a collection of lizard people uh, were helping Hollywood elites and Hillary Clinton uh, sex traffic children so that their brains could be eaten for a chemical. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, the Capitol uh, is raided uh, to stop Joe Biden from becoming president uh, while a bunch of people ran around in uh in shirts uh, that celebrated uh, concentration camps and uh, and flew Confederate flags. And just, it is always fascinating to me how, how these people seem to just align with the greatest losers in history. Uh, I don't know why, why the people that call themselves patriots uh, are always uh, siding with folks that, uh, that have lost to us uh, or, or outright, outright attacked us. But uh, I don't know interesting persecution thing, uh, in their brains. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It is, there is a new issue of the pitch that just hit stands <laughs> yesterday. Uh, and my letter to the editor and our cover story is about the great reset. Uh, the cover image is a bunch of hands reaching in together to hit a giant red button. That button is not self-destruct. It is not to send the nukes. The, the button says reset and, and the issue and, and our writing is mostly about how, the vaccines are coming. There is there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope on the horizon. And as much as I am the bitter guy who loves to carry a grudge, I guess I, I have to I will also be one of the ones who says the time has come to come together and try to try to get th- try to get through this and to uh, and that there's going to be have to be some. Uh, some understanding and some forgiveness, even of those that we don't want to forgive moving forward into having normal world again, because we just can't operate this way. And, uh, of course, uh, that hit stands just after 
perhaps one of the most divisive events that I will ever see in my lifetime. Uh, and and the sort of thing that will go down in history books uh, right right alongside the War of 1812. Uh, and I just, my, my capacity to to move forward is somewhat limited now, but I'm still going to try to stick to those guns because, uh, I, yeah, you have to hope in your heart of hearts and, and it, it is, I am asking for it by saying this out loud, but you have to hope that's the worst of it. And I know I'm a horror movie character saying how much worse could it possibly get? And it definitely will, but you have to hope there is some amount of hope left in me that what we just saw can't be one-upped. Uh, and, and part of my ability to believe that is that what I saw was so cartoonish and so disconnected from reality that, uh, I don't know, it just, it, it still seems impossible that I saw it. I still feel like it was some sort of fever dream that I definitely uh, had the flu and none of this ever happened. But uh, uh, there we are. That is a thing that happened and that is the thing that we're going to have to work through. And uh, thank you, Josh Hawley from Missouri for helping make that happen. Uh, let's, let's deal with, let's deal with your choices in this another time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, a great show for you to down streetwise today. Um, there is Nick's music corner as per always. I have a really interesting, uh, interview, very casual, fun time, uh, in a time we need a very casual, fun time. Uh, but first up, we have a reading from the latest issue of the magazine. Our friend Jason from stolen dress entertainment is reading a piece called weighty matters by Barb Shelley. Uh, about a local guy who uh, went through some bad times and has uh, power lifted his way into some great times. Uh, it's a really incredibly inspiring story at a time where you might enjoy an inspiring story. Uh, Jason, take it away. Hope in Weighty Matters. Aaron Schwartz on Becoming a Beacon for Others by Barbara Shelley. In those first pandemic months of 2020, when just about everyone was wandering around in a state of discombobulation, Aaron Schwartz was hitting his stride. I was averaging 70-some hours a week at work and taking 12 credit hours at school along with five or six days a week at the gym, Schwartz says. And I was able to come out with a 4.0 GPA, and I lost 40 pounds the healthy way. Later in the year, he rented his first apartment and celebrated his 26th birthday. Oh, and I just upgraded vehicles recently, he says, and I've got a truck I've been wanting since I was like freaking five years old. All this would add up to a good year for just about anybody. But two years ago, Schwartz was the one adrift. A former high school football and wrestling star in Nebraska, he'd blown his shot at scholarships and college sports and was living on the streets of Kansas City. He slept on park benches, looked for free food, and ingested every bit of alcohol and substances he could get his hands on. I was watching my life like a car accident, Schwartz says. It wasn't anything I had ownership with. It was something that I was watching happen from the outside. Schwartz was in and out of treatment programs and hospitals a lot those days, as substances wreaked havoc with his body and mind. He was being discharged from the Behavioral Access Center at St. Luke's North Hospital in Smithville one day in 2018 when a staffer told him he should wait around and chat with a man named Carr Wu. Schwartz had heard of Wu, a guy who helps people with mental illnesses and substance abuse issues. He's kind of like the unicorn of the mental health field, Schwartz says. You hear about him a lot, but you never see him. And one of the people up in Smithville told me he was coming up and I really should meet with him. Schwartz shrugged. Why not? He had no plans or place to go. After a while, a slender, long-haired Asian man sat down with him and asked conversationally, So what do you want to do with your life? Schwartz was floored. That was the biggest shell shock for me, he says. 
because I firmly believed that I had burned every bridge and every opportunity to have a choice in what I was wanting to do with my life. And here this energetic man comes in and asks me what I want to do, like I have every opportunity in the world. Schwartz mumbled something about maybe getting a job. Wu shook his head. What do you really want? he asked. Schwartz wanted to wind the clock back, to the day in 2010 when his mother, the person he loved and looked up to most in the world, was killed in a car wreck. He was 15 years old, with the body of a heavyweight athlete and the heart of a wounded child. Now, almost 10 years later, he wanted to grasp hold of the values she'd instilled in him and fulfill the hopes she'd had for him. I want to go back to school, he told Wu. I want to take back the opportunity I walked away from. Okay, Wu said. And that was the beginning. Wu's own story is legendary among the people in Kansas City and Lawrence, Kansas, who work with people in crisis due to mental illness and addiction. An immigrant from Hong Kong, he was operating an art gallery near the Country Club Plaza when he began to connect with many of the homeless people in that area. Wu had studied counseling and psychology in college and had a way of understanding these folks. Eventually, leaders at St. Luke's Health System asked Wu if he would put his gallery business on hold and work on finding better options for people with mental illness and addictions than the hospital emergency room. That was the beginning of Wu's nonprofit, Artists Helping the Homeless. One of its core functions is the operation of recovery houses in Kansas City and Lawrence. By the end of the day on which he met Wu, Schwartz was settled into Bodie House in Midtown Kansas City. Schwartz had been through a number of treatment programs in the three years he spent on the streets. Most of what he learned he cast aside as soon as he was discharged. Wu's program, he says, was different. Wu instructed Schwartz to come up with a plan. Turns out, Schwartz loves plans and action steps. He badgered the Bodie House managers with details of how he planned to spend the next day, the next week, the rest of his life. Within three weeks, he was enrolled at Penn Valley Community College and had a part-time job in the campus weight room. Schwartz thrived in the structure and camaraderie of Bodie House. But after a couple of months, when Wu proposed that he move to a supervised apartment building operated by artists helping the homeless, he panicked. This is too much, he recalls telling Wu. I can't handle school and moving. I'm an addict, you know, and this and that. Okay, Wu said serenely. I'll just keep believing in you until you believe in yourself. So Schwartz moved to the apartments. After a bit, the weekend overnight supervisor's job opened up. Schwartz asked Wu if he could try out on a volunteer basis. He quickly earned a spot on the payroll. One thing led to another, and Wu asked Schwartz to help him open up a new recovery house in Lawrence. They found and purchased a duplex and began admitting clients. Schwartz enrolled at the University of Kansas to study business management and leadership. His story is very wonderful because he really is trying to do everything right, says Wu. He's taking little steps at a time. But Wu and Schwartz both know, better than most, that success among addicts is measured minute by minute. Wu has seen many clients thrive and then fall. I had one kid. He was doing really well for two years, he said. He moved in with his girlfriend, and within a month, he relapsed. When that happens, most clients are welcomed back into Wu's program. He never gives up on anybody. Schwartz has now been clean and sober for two years and four months. If I'm being transparent, he says, I haven't made it. There's no point of victory. I continually do the same things I did in the first 30 days of recovery. I still go to meetings. I still make my bed. I still do the dishes. I'm doing a lot better, but it's because I'm doing the same things that got me here. Fitness has always been important to Schwartz, and his Facebook page shows him pulling off feats like bench-pressing 315 pounds. Schwartz says his time in the gym is his escape. That's where I can go and just be in my own little world, he says. I don't have to think about bills. I don't have to think about work. 
I don't have to think about school. There's just a bunch of weight on top of me, and I have to lift it, and the calm in the storm is a beautiful thing to me. His recent trappings of success, like that four-wheel-drive truck he bought without taking out any loans, might be a sign to others of how far he's come since the day he stumbled around Kansas City with nothing but a change of clothes and a backpack. But Schwartz knows not to let them define him. Stuff is just stuff, he says. These are the easy things for people to see the growth, but what they can't see is the growth inside me. Like, I do not recognize myself today. More rewarding than his job, his grades, and any possessions he's acquired is his reconciliation with his father and two brothers. They always loved me, but they had to love me from a distance, he says, remembering the alienation he felt when he was homeless. But now it's to the point where I actually get phone calls from my brothers asking for advice. Schwartz has even embraced a sister he never knew existed before she got in touch recently, after tracing her family online. In a season in which despondency looms for many, Schwartz thinks often about how his story can help create hope. To me, hope is the precursor to faith, he says, and in order to have faith in myself, I must first have hope that I can do something. Schwartz loves inspirational books, videos, and slogans, so he pulls one out now. I always use the quote, be the light you wish to see in the world. It's like trying to find your way out of a dark room. You've got to have some sort of light, some sort of belief. I've been where there is no light in the room. And today I do my best to be that light in the room for the next individual. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as per always, it is time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick's Basic Music Editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. It's the new year, which for many of us means starting over and setting new goals. It also means a whole slew of new music over which we can begin to obsess. Local label Lost Cowgirl Records, based out of Stull, Kansas, and ran by Jenna Ray of Unfit Wives, is devoted to helping Americana songwriters find their way, and their first release of this year is a real gem. Singer-songwriter Lily B. Moonflower's Midnight Song is a twangy ode to playing the jukebox as one day becomes the next, and the slow loping track definitely fits the hopes and dreams of the new year. It's just a taste of what you can expect from Moonflower's debut album, aptly entitled Moonflower, which will be out on Lost Cowgirl on February 12th. You can find more information and music from Lily B. Moonflower at lilybmoonflower.com, and Lost Cowgirl Records is at thelostcowgirl.com. Here's Midnight Song.
Uh, so this is a, a fun little interview to, to round out the day. Uh, Jason Harper was our music editor at The Pitch for an extended period of time, long before I got here. Uh, and uh, I was like, you know what? I want to hear about what your time with uh, with The Pitch was like, uh, what it was like to be involved in the music scene back then. Uh, everyone who worked alongside of him uh, reached out to tell me like, oh, yeah, that guy's really cool. Which traditionally, when I ask about people from the past at The Pitch, I get a, a, a mixed bag of stories, uh, as as will happen in something as dramatic as local news. Everyone has sides to them, uh, but uh, in in, uh, in Jason Harper's case, everyone loves him. So pretty exciting time. Uh, pretty thrilled to have this very fun talk with him uh, right after his new baby was born. Uh, so uh, here's my chat with Jason Harper, formerly of The Pitch. Jason, welcome to the show. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, Brock. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm Jason Harper, uh, former pitch music editor circa 2005 to 2009. Current Waldo dad, semi-entrepreneur slash serial failed employee and um, a heavy drinker, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm fairly certain that journalism makes uh, failed employees and drinkers out of us all. So no complaints there. <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. You, you just met the mark where it was supposed to be. That's, uh, I'm also a Waldo dad, but to three cats and a dog, uh, I assume that yours takes a lot more effort. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Got to Well, you know, as since we had to reschedule because I was delivering my second child last week, um, so yeah, we've got a baby, um, a newborn, sort of a like an amoeba being of need, of constant need, but very cute. And then a two and a half year old son who's um, a ball of energy. How how was the previous amoeba process? Do, are you are you pretty set with the new one after that one? That's interesting. Going from there's nothing like going from zero to one. Um, <laughs> one to two is yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot easier. The process, the birth process was like in a movie. You like, it just starts at home and then like, give me some loving by the Spencer Davis group starts playing in the background and then you're running and then there's a bunch of screaming and then there's a baby. And you cut the umbilical cord, which I did this time. I didn't do it the first time, but cutting your baby's umbilical cord is like the most heavy metal thing you can do. I mean, I, I, I suppose the heavy metal version is when you bite through it, uh, <laughs> but like cutting it also pretty metal, I assume. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's new metal. I don't know. I uh, yes, I like that new metal would be toothless in this analogy. I, one of my right. favorite things about uh, childbirth that I acquired from my time in Los Angeles was learning that um, 
they can never use newborns in movies because even babies need to have a SAG card to be in movies. So you need at least like a two week year old baby. So they usually have like some hair and stuff by then. And so a lot of uh, filmmakers wind up looking at like birth scenes and, and being really upset at the baby that they wound up with. I think I learned that from like Judd Apatow and Knocked Out. And he was just like, really wish we could have had like an actual kid for this. I didn't, I didn't know that until I was holding my own newborn and then saw a movie, you know, I don't know, some weeks later, I was like, that newborn is like a year old. I had no idea. Real newborns, yeah, are tiny little ferrets like like that you don't want you don't want anywhere near you know a, a film crew so it makes it makes sense from the perspective of the safety of the of of you know the baby that yeah you you got to sell I, I mean how many how, how important is infant verisimilitude to <laughs> a lot of stories like the, the baby the thing that comes to mind is like the untouchables when the baby carriage is going down the steps. Right. <laughs> so it's just like a doll with a you know, tape recorder, a doll head with a tape recorder going, meh, meh. Yeah, what like, is the process of childbirth like uh, mid COVID? Um, a lot, a lot of anxiety and testing and quarantine leading up to it. But the actual experience in the hospital was just, everybody's got a mask and somewhere the horror show is carrying on. They did a really good job of keeping it out, I would say, of the, you know, at, our, at the hospital, we went to Overland Park Regional. And I will say like early on in COVID, we changed hospitals because there were nurse strikes due to PPE and long hours and stuff at the hospital where our firstborn was. So we moved to one, I mean, I feel a little bit bad because we, we did end up crossing the state line. So baby number one, Missouri, and baby number two, Kansas, so. Well, that um, rivalry is going to be with them forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I'm from Texas, so, like, I don't have a dog in that damn border war fight, I mean, fortunately, but. We, it was, we have a um, friend here in town who was a nurse, uh, an ICU nurse at one of the local hospitals, and she uh, found out she was pregnant uh, in maybe April, uh, and didn't tell anyone else in the family until like the baby was basically here because she's like, they're going to stop me going to the hospital. And I was like, I think you should also stop, but also like, yes, can't tell a nurse to stop nursing at a time when we are out of nurses. So like, good on you for being a trooper here, but also I get why you, it's a surprise baby for the rest of the family. I understand why your parents are mad. Yeah, it really has disrupted everyone's life and, and, I can't imagine what it's like, especially for frontline workers who also have kids who are a little bit older and having to homeschool them, deal with that while also constantly being at risk. It's just, it is, it is, a, it is a metal time, Rock. It is a very metal time right now. <laughs> I think it's a new metal time. Something's very wrong with it. <laughs> That's true. I, so speaking of music, uh, like um, it, it is fascinating to have you on here today because you seem to be one of the only one of the only editors that I've come into contact with in the year that I've been here that um, no one has had to tell me like, by the way, that person is full of drama. And when they left here, everything was bad. Everyone seems to really like you. And as part of uh, doing the, uh, the put together of like prepping our 40th anniversary uh, uh, magazine earlier this year, got to read a lot of Wayward Son. Uh, would you like to tell the audience if they don't know what that column was? <laughs> I haven't heard that name in many years. Cigarette, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was well. The editor, C, my editor, CJ Janovey, 
the greatest uh, employer I have ever had um, and editor and mentor thought of that name. Cause you know, Kansas wayward son, when I got hired, when I got hired, I was like assistant calendar editor, which was in a, you know, we had a full newsroom of like 12 people and that was a, the lowest rung full-time job right above clubs editor, which is like a part-time job. I, I, it's, it's funny to us at this point to even imagine anyone working on calendar because we haven't had that since March. So, right. Yeah. I haven't had events. Um, and then I, the, the previous music editor, my predecessor, his life fell apart much in the way that you alluded to earlier, lots of drama, a cross country divorce meltdown. He was walking around in like uh, his undershirt and socks, like just sock footed around the office really kind of strange Shakespearean tragedy going on. And I was like, and then CJ was like, Hey, who's, who's, who's your favorite local band? And that was sort of how the conversation began with me getting the gig. Um, if you have one, you can take over the job of the person that's right. going if, insane in our if you can, Yeah. If you can name one, <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, a puddle of mud, then we'll give you the job. And so CJ I love the, the jokey new metal through line of this whole <laughs> I'm so happy with it. Something awkward like that always happens. Yeah. Um, but, and she said, well, you're going to have to have a column. Um, and the, the, everybody had a column, like the, the main editors had a column that had some clever name, like the, the managing editor at the time, Tony Ortega, who's since gone on, went on to the village voice and is now an expert in Scientology and, um, has received death threats and been in documentaries and stuff. So he had a column that was very meat themed, full of meat puns called Casey Strip. Everything has to be locally connected. So it was like, you know, Cowtown beef. So he was like, this, this porterhouse has got his, you know, T-bones up in a knot over latest hoo-ha at City Hall. He wasn't that folky <laughs> at all. I don't know. He was not folky. I don't know why that happened. Um, but I, I had to come up with one and I, I, I couldn't think of anything, a brand for myself. And CJ suggested Wayward Son, you know, after the Kansas song. Carry on my wayward, wayward son. Which I also really thought was appropriate to me personally because I was raised very strict um, evangelical Christian. I mean, sheltered would be a better word than strict. It wasn't like Pentecostal speaking in tongues, which is very sheltered, provincial, West mm. Texas, Bible land kind of thing. And I thought, wow, the prodigal son, that's pretty cool. Because now I'm in the big city, hanging out with these debauched, uh, mostly recovering alcoholic uh, newspaper people who are all <laughs> badasses, like godless badasses. And I thought, well, yeah, I need to have something. I need to have something kind of cool to um, make me seem more legit. So that's how Wayward Son, and then it became like, when I did a podcast, it was the Wayward Cast and the Wayward Blog, and it, a whole line of waywardness, stopping just short of like uh, merchandise. I should have carried it <laughs> further. And what were your favorite but, parts of the music scene during that period when you were running the blog, running the column? My favorite parts of the scene, I love the, um, the, like this was the, the 2000s and now it seems appropriate to be doing this because like this conversation brought, because like the 2000s are coming back, it seems mm -hmm. like. Uh, people are getting nostalgic for it. 
I sure as hell am. And like was even texting a buddy about we should do a I used to be in a Tom Petty tribute band with him because like my secret life is a musician that got me into trouble sometimes. At the bench. <laughs> like I played in a Tom Petty tribute band with him for one show at the record bar. And then CJ made me quit, though she denies that she was the reason that I had to quit. But I played with him. And then, uh, yeah, I was saying we should start a, a, an Audis, Audis, what do you call it? Like tribute band. But it's all that was the, the rise of like pitchfork and indie rock. Right. And um, we had to move at the paper from being a weekly print product to a 24 seven you know, digital product, which is right. how it is now. And we had to blog like eight times a day. Um, it was intense. And, uh, but that was when MP3s and blogs and hipsters were being created and the record bar got established as like the, you know, the cool kid venue in town. So there was a, but there was a lot of like creativity. Um, it was a low enough cost of living that you could start a band and still like, like Ken from Republic Tigers was a Papa John's delivery guy forever. And some dudes from Shiner were Minsky's pizza guys. And there was a lot of like um, DIY creativity in the kind of indie rock scene that would get, that would get like noticed or get you gigs at South by Southwest. And mm -hmm. so that was like when to be a music journalist whose voice mattered in that community, people cared like mm -hmm. what I wrote um it felt like it felt a lot more communal um in that kind of indie scene and there was a hip-hop and a dj scene and all of these uh eclectic kind of westport or 18th street or west bottoms uh areas where communities could happen and then i i don't know maybe it's maybe it's my age that i see less a result of that i see less of that but also social media and Spotify, streaming, Netflix. It was before that had kind of atomized the experience of music. Like back Yeah, in the, the day, communal content experience is sort of gone yeah. forever. That's <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So there were um a lot more opportunities to have an experience, to have a like live music experience that um that you couldn't get staying at home I guess that sounds kind of kind of dumb but it was just like the you know um a diverse group of the Kansas City creative class like getting together and of course the the main reasons to do it were to like get wasted and get laid and party but um a lot of good music was happening too the music is a byproduct of that yes <laughs> right yes yeah, so it's a cool milieu to be a journalist in I was uh like thinking about social media now that's what I do for a living. And I, um, I would tweet via text on my flip phone. I would be at the, at the record bar or wherever, like trying to live tweet a show and I would send right. <laughs> SMS text to Twitter and then look on it, look at it on my desktop later. I, I, I do love that wild west of uh, eight, eight blog posts in a day. I, I, I very much, that's it. what an insane thing, but I absolutely what what that was doing in, the, in those years. Yeah, we did some some things that got us like into some trouble doing the um, when the blogging for blogging first began in like I don't know, 2006 or 2005, we launched a blog 
was the first one. We were the first uh, paper in the whole New Times chain to start blogging. So ahead of like bigger markets, which I've always been proud of. Um, but it was like for music, I thought I was just supposed to like go out and get drunk and talk shit. And uh, I didn't know that it was like, it wasn't like a tool for coverage and journalism. It's like, well, we're just supposed to go out and be Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then I realized like, oh wait, they like people actually want information from this, not just like my live journal, you know, my, my wayward youth. Uh, what then, were, uh, what were some of your favorite albums from that period that you covered? Anything that you felt, uh, especially local acts, anybody that you felt a real deep connection to, I, I guess more so than records, uh, bands that, uh, that you, you loved from that time. Um, I'm a, yeah, it's interesting. Like these have, and you guys have written about this, like, um, those bands have had their first albums in 15 to 20 years this year, 2020, like Shiner, right. Republic Tigers, Giants Chair. Um, they all came out with new, really strong album, like amazingly, like, this is great. Like they don't have a, what, what happened? You know, I don't, why are those, those would have been like showstoppers. In, in the 2000s had they come out then. It just, right. it's as if no time has passed. Um, but there were bands like Doris Henson was one of my favorites. And now those guys, like they run Voltaire. It's, um, oh, okay. two of them do. Um, Wes Gartner's the chef there. So it's interesting to see everybody like lapse into their post rock adolescent, uh, senescent lives now. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, like, Steve Tulipana and Billy Smith and the record bar guys are, I think they're coming out with like a Roman numerals follow-up. Um, they're, they were a big part of the, that record bar Westport scene. If you you know, what I'm talking about the, yeah, yeah. That was like, yeah. Part of that two thousands um, synth wave when all the, all the hipsters got into eighties music again. Yes. <laughs> and, and the guys and like one of the guitar players like put down his guitar and picked up a synthesizer and put on a tie. And then you had a like cool band. Um, I, I hate to lump uh, Steve in with that. If those guys are listening to me, I apologize. But I always liked it. So it's OK. I'm also a victim of that period that never really got out of it either. So, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> good. Good. Same. Um, and then there were. Like Mac Lethal. Um, you know, the, uh, now, now I guess he's he sort of recreated himself as a YouTube star, but back when he was just like a backpack carrying battle rapper, um, playing all ages shows at El Torreon, um, with, with either a backup CD that he brought or, a, a DJ skew, like those were really, um, memorable to see the beginnings of some really talented rap careers like approach and Cess crew who got signed by strange music you know tech nine's label which still is a thing i guess i mean i saw it, i still i see that they're at least selling jewelry and putting out albums every two months which is what they've always done and tech's a really nice guy and talented i got to meet him a lot and hang out with him and go on his tour bus to denver one time nice um and I always felt it was a, it was a small community, you know, a small town and 
that was one thing about that about small towns is like everyone's in everyone's business. And when you're writing opinions about people who you see on a daily basis, um, it can be problematic. And I definitely had like, you, you had to, you had to ruffle feathers or people would not take you, you you know, this like it's still the same way. People won't take you seriously. It's like, if you're, if you're the leader of a band of outlaws in the (laughs) old West, occasionally you've got to like shoot one of your own men for the other dudes to take you seriously. <laughs> it is it is uh, weird to move from national writing where when people yelled at me, I was like, well, who knows where they're from to local journalism where I'm like, I I know that guy from next door and he lives in, in my neighborhood. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, you might see that guy next time you're out. And yeah, um, I, yeah I had some writers, some, some freelancers, um, and I got the sense that this is how other outlets uh, operated, like just just avoid, you know, like don't say anything negative. You know, that was the big criticism of the pitch at the time. It's like they're they're just so negative, and um, we need to re- like the the star or at the time Inc., which has since folded, were like the the positive would never never give you like an, a, a real honest opinion about some things. And if they, and if they had them, if the writers had them, they just wouldn't write about it. Right. They would rather not uh, write a bad review of a, of an album, a consequential album, you know, and, so, and they would just not cover it or write or more likely, you know, just write some BS that's like, whatever. That no yeah. one just to avoid conflict. It's Midwestern conflict avoidance. It's Midwestern nice, you know, which I, is- like, I think it's everywhere now. I've written in enough places where like the figurehead person in charge, you you were like told like, don't write anything negative because you don't know who they're going to want to be friends with down the line or who they're already friends with. And I'm like, then what is the point of what we are doing? Okay, <laughs> that's just free advertising. Might as well be sponsored content for everyone. Exactly, yeah. Or, you know, don't don't upset the advertisers another thing we i keep doing that for some reason who would have guessed what are your favorite records from 2020 now that we've wrapped up with this fuck year (laughs) yeah um does it have to be local or no (laughs) well i will say that like um this has been a very uh i risk going back to new metal but it's been a very heavy music year for me and this started at my last birthday, December 2019, a show at the Riot Room with uh, with a couple of local bands, 34, which is a hardcore cool. band run by yes. <laughs> Brooks, who runs Scene Merch, and Hyborian, a stoner metal band um, from here. Um, and I really, for my birthday, I just wanted to go out and mosh. I mean, this is my 41st birthday, so there's nothing dignified about it. I was just like, it's time. It's time for my my metal baptism, and so I went and moshed, and I was like the only guy moshing, um, based on videos that were sent to me later. There were like <laughs> two other equally old men, just all kind of bumping into each other. Like we looked like giant toddlers, running, like bumping into each other, and then saying sorry, <laughs> but having the time of our lives. There's the Midwest uh, nice, the Midwest nice in the pit. That's very right. Nice. Right. Um, and so that that set me on a course of like just uh, extreme consumption of as much metal my little Spotify could uh, d- dredge up for me. And I ended up 
um, really getting into Napalm Death, who... Wonderful. 2020 is the year for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they were supposed to play at the Right Room in April, and I was all stoked to go. And then, you know, COVID happened. Right. But their album this year um, is, is amazing and even has a song on it called Contagion that seems appropriate, that seems prescient, though I've read interviews and they had no idea what was happening, but it's, um, it's heavy. See, if I were them, I would lean into it. Like, oh, we were tipped off last year. That's why we did this. Right. We know Satan told us. So that's, that's freaking great. And Hyborian, I mentioned, put out an album this year on, and they're on a, like, this is always interesting when a lo- you find out a local band is on a like global label and no one, no one talks about them. It's just like, uh, they're on season of miss records um it's just called volume two volume one came out this is volume two i don't know like, but, but it's awesome driving stuff. Oh, I, I have heard a track off that one yeah like that a lot <laughs> sweet um i really liked i don't know how heavy it is but the deftones record it's a year. great album uh love love him playing a, a nine string guitar don't love don't love him going on podcasts and talking about how the earth is flat and COVID was made up. Some wow. some disappointment for my boys in Deftones this week. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Um, that's too bad. But it is. I like expect eccentricity from uh, people in that the community, but hopefully not in in ways that are yeah possibly dangerous. I, I mean, it finds I find it very funny that a man that's flown around the world so many times could say that the earth is flat, but also I think. I think my takeaway from it was that no one's impervious to getting the brain worms from YouTube. Like you can just keep going and like at some point any, anyone, no matter how smart they are, can wind up sounding like that. (laughs) It's true. Damn. That's like, that's like the show, the vow, what the Nexium cult is all about. How otherwise intelligent people can just be. I'm one of the journalists that broke that story. So yeah, I spent two years talking to them. Yeah. (laughs) Damn, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Wow. Well, that's a whole other podcast with you. That's a whole other podcast, believe me. <laughs> what about you? What are some of the records you've loved? Uh, I, I I wouldn't say the uh, the Deftones one was really up there. Um, uh, this year has been uh, a really good for, um, yeah, a lot of the local bands and stuff that... Uh, <laughs> I'll read, uh, I'll read our write-ups, especially SpaceX stuff or, uh, or Aaron's stuff and just be like, yeah, I need to go get that record. Uh, so stuff like Shy Boys and stuff, I'm like, cool, I, I dig this now. <laughs> I, I like that despite having moved here and being like, I'm going to get really involved in the local scene and then having all the music go away that like at least somehow in 2020, I can get excited about all these bands that I'll see someday down the road. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to change the live music experience, you know. I mean, I don't, I hope these bars, these clubs survive. Um, but it's also, maybe it's a chance to rethink the live experience of the future. And maybe house shows, or maybe it, it doesn't always have to be like a 21 and over bar with a promoter. And it can be outside spontaneous stuff where the band that you follow on Spotify or SoundCloud comes through and plays a pop-up show and they sell some merch and there's no door guy and there's no bar, you know, like. Cut out nine or 10 middlemen here and just let the bands profit from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just as much as I do hope that I get to see shows at Record Bar again. So yeah, with some sort of revolution and and some sort of preserving of the things that I always love, but. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. 
Yeah. What What is the one band that you hope to see in 2021? <laughs> um, well, this is going to sound like an old man thing, but I'm really into uh, this Detroit band called Proto Martyr. Yeah. And um, they they put an album this year that is great. Um, it was even like that that Spotify thing where it lists your top music of the year, which is uh, so. I have a lot of feelings about that thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very misleading and makes you disappointed in yourself in ways that you shouldn't be. But Proto Martyr was up there like number five for me, and um, I missed them when they came through. It was on my it was on the night of my fortieth birthday, which if I had known they were here, I would have been like, "See you guys. I'm going to go see Proto Martyr." Um, don't worry about getting me anything for my 40th. This is all I want. But it was one of those where I'm like super hungover and I'm 40 officially the next day and looking at Instagram and I was like, what? They played here last night. I was so pissed off. So if I could have like my, yeah, my rock dream come true, it would be, it would be getting to see them in a small packed record bar or riot room. Well, Jason, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Clearly we're going to hang out again soon when people get home. I hope so, man. Congrats again. Thank you. And congrats to you. You're doing kick-ass work and you're making us proud. You're making us all uh, us old farts proud. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that the farts are on my side. It means a lot. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. You do, man. And ladies and gentlemen, that was Streetwise from The Pitch here in Kansas City. I've been your host, Brock Wilbur, and the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. Please check out all the great work we do at thepitchkc.com. If you have a couple of bucks, please uh, chip in to support. Uh, We are suffering just like everyone else is suffering, and local journalism is somewhat important. Um, Thank you for making it worthwhile to just be a part of your lives and to... uh, to be able to explore what it what it is like to, to live in maybe my favorite city that I've ever lived in. I, I love it here. I love the people here so much. You are always uh, just delighting me with how how excellent you are and the little miracles that we pull out day by day. Because uh, uh, right after one of the worst days I've ever seen uh, was right back into stories about like how great Kansas City folks are. So keep on keeping on, everybody. Um, Please check out thepitchkc.com. Again, we are doing really important work. We have also launched uh, the Pitch Podcast Network. There'll be more information coming out about that soon, but we have a little collection of shows that'll be joining Streetwise here, uh, including resurrecting a show that I do with my wife uh, called Missouri Loves Company, uh, a podcast that we did for a year and a half when we first moved here, doing some fun chat stuff like we do on here, uh, and uh, my wife Vivian brilliant wonderful co-host uh it's it's thrill it's thrilling to be able to go back and uh and kick that one off again especially in a time where oh my god could we use some more people to just have normal human chat with normal human chats with that's uh it's pretty exciting for us anyway uh pitch in and we'll make it through thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day